Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan, and I'm working at... An Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver-area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on The Chuck and Julie Show. Good afternoon. Welcome to Crazy Monday, I guess. So Chuck and Julie are taking the day off. And uh, as usual, your good friend, Mark Poff, the retired detective down in El Paso County, down in Colorado Springs, is going to guest host for today. John is going to join us at about 20 after. John is just hammered with work. He's trying to get caught up and get some things done. He said that as soon as he could get out of this meeting, he'd come over and join. Now, we were planning. So I, before I even get into this, I have the the chat up. If you want to ask any questions, I usually catch it. I'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions. If you want to call in, it's 888-627-6008. I'm sure they'll let me know. Jonathan will let me know if there's anybody waiting. Um, we were going to talk about DNA and CBI. Now, we know there was all that fiasco with that one um, CBI analyst. I don't think that's it. That's my opinion. Kind of heard some rumors from some old friends that um, there's going to be a lot more to this when it's all said and done, that this could actually blow up and there could be all kinds of cases coming back on appeals. Because a lot of times, if you go into a courtroom and you say DNA says it's them, now, of course, they say it a different way than that. But most juries are like, oh, well, the science says they're guilty. Let's vote guilty. You know, if you come back and you find out that the DA, DNA doesn't match, that's obviously very problematic. John has worked on some cases here earlier. Just to separate for sort of them, some of those, some of you, feel like Biden there for a second, that haven't heard John and I talk a bunch. I'm a retired detective with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office, specialized in computer crimes, did all the, the cool digital forensic cell phone records, which is what I still do now as a consultant. In fact, I'm flying out of here in a couple of days to go testify. John was the in, inspector. Then he became the commander of investigations down at El Paso County. So he ran a lot of the investigations. And I will tell you, he was the brain behind the works. He were just remember stuff that's just amazing to me. I could remember when I'm working a, a certain case because it was current, but John can tell you stuff 10, 15 years ago about all kinds of cases that he that he worked on. And he is a star again. He was on 60 Minutes Australia. So if you get a chance to go out and check that out on the internet, he did an interview. They did a whole big story about the John Bonet case. I haven't even had a chance to watch the story yet. I'm going to watch it after this, which is kind of ironically stupid. But I just didn't have time today um, trying to get caught up before I fly out of here. So you go see John St. Augustine on um, 60 Minutes Australia about the John Bonet case. He is intimately knowledgeable. I would venture to say there's no single person on this planet that knows as much about the John Bonet investigation as John St. Augustine, because he was hired by the Ramses to basically reinvestigate what the cops were doing, because they basically, and I could go into this, but it's better to have John do this. 
you know, they hired some outside hotshot gun named Lou Smith, who's one of the was one of the smartest homicide detectives in the nation. And he said, I don't think you should be looking at the parents. And they said, well, you're gone. If you're not going to, you know, do the agenda that we want, as they always say, follow the evidence. And um, Boulder PD was not willing to follow the evidence. They just wanted to go after the parents. So, so check that out. So we were going to talk about DNA and this whole CBI fiasco because John's tied into him a couple times on cases where they talk about this mixture of DNA and they make it sound as if, you know, it could still be them and, and he can explain it better, but things have changed. So um, there's a guy named Mark Hurlbert, and we're going to talk about him who um, worked with, I think it's Linda Stanley, if I remember right, John will correct me when he comes on, who's the DA down in Buena Vista area, down in Canyon City and stuff. They had the very Morphew case. Remember, they arrested him, then dropped the charges and all this other stuff. Um Mark Hurlbert is like the main DA that was working that for her. He's come up again, you know, complaints. And guess who complained about Mark Hurlbert? It was the judge. The judge in the case filed a complaint against the DA's office and Stanley for for their actions. And John can explain it better. We've had some run-ins with Mark Hurlbert. I can tell you my opinion so I don't get sued. He's the most corrupt DA I've ever dealt with in Colorado. He absolutely is slime and will do whatever it takes to get a conviction. And I always tell people, look, you got to understand what motivates um, district attorneys and what motivates defense attorneys. And if you understand what motivates them, then then you can kind of understand how the system works. A district attorney should only be interested in the truth, getting to the truth, and ultimately then to justice. That's not the case here recently. John and I found a lot of cases where DAs just want to win and they don't care. They 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 literally know. Mark Hurlbert has said, I knew this person was not guilty. I didn't care. I wanted to jam him up so he would testify the way I wanted him to. That's how corrupt Mark Hurlbert is. So um, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Defense attorneys are obviously motivated by different things. They obviously want to tr- try to get the best outcome for their client. They can get many times they're guilty. So it, it is a matter of trying to get the best deal. But what I want to talk about, and this has completely changed for me just from last week. So I'm a retired detective. Obviously, being a detective, I've had to testify in court numerous times. Sometimes as an expert, sometimes not. Sometimes just as a cop, you know, DUI stops. You know, I've worked in uniform for a while. And actually, even after I was a detective, I used to love to get back out in uniform and work a midnight shift, which a lot of people thought I was crazy. So I've testified in court a bunch, you know, sometimes as an expert, sometimes not. Mainly as an expert now. So as a compensated expert, I would say that I am paid part of my responsibilities or part of the reasons I'm paid is to testify in court. And you you have to kind of know how to testify in court appropriately. I've had a couple judges, one I can definitely remember, yell at me um, for for different reasons. So I've learned over the years and I would like to think that I've honed my skills at such as as an expert witness in digital forensics, 
when I testify, it should be relatively boring. No one should really get upset. I, I get in there and just talk about forensics. I may call about talk about cell phone records. Usually I will say, look, the government has come in and said that these cell phone records indicate that this individual was at the shooting. Not true. Let me explain how cell phone records work. And I've done this in the past and I could explain in great gory detail all the the, the techniques and stuff that when I testify. And and I I really try to to make sure that it's that I perform well. And I know that doesn't sound well, but when you testify as an expert, it is a performance and you are being compensated. So you need to understand how both sides work, depending on who you're testifying for, who's the other side, the the judge's role, how the whole procedural thing works. So typically, whenever I watch these shows on TV, when something goes to court, um, trying to think some of the recent ones, was it Murdile in South Carolina? So I, I watch it and I get bored to tears because it's really nothing interesting for me because I've testified dozens upon dozens and dozens of time all over the nation. So it doesn't really excite me. But I have to tell you, last week, on I believe it was Thursday, I just happened to be having lunch and, and I was working from home and turned on TV and was watching Fox News. And I saw Nathan Wade. This is the whole Atlanta fiasco, if you want to call it that, where... Uh, you know they're trying to say that jump or that Trump w- was trying to to swap the election or influence or whatever, and you know it's it's reached the point that they've said that you know you can't question election, you can't aggressively and assertively um, question the election and and what was going on. I've seen video of people stuffing ballot boxes in Georgia, so. Anybody who says that there was not voter fraud in Georgia is just not looking at the evidence that's out there on the internet. But that's really not what interests me. What's interesting is the old phrase, if you live in a glass house, don't throw stones. So this whole Fannie Willis, hope I said her name right, said from the beginning, make me DA and I'm going to I'm going to reel in Trump. I'm going to go get him and blah, blah, blah. And she did it. And and she basically set this up, you know, assigned this special um, prosecutor, and they went after Trump and indicted all these people. And I, and I, I remember when this first happened, I was like, what the hell is going on? You, you know, they're like indicting everybody. I was waiting for like Mother Teresa to get indicted. And I started thinking to myself, you know, district attorneys typically are not your sharpest attorneys. If you are an extremely sharp attorney, now I'm not saying there isn't some sharp DAs, but typically your best attorneys are private attorneys and they make boatloads of money. So when you have, in fact, normally what I found is defense attorneys typically are a little bit better than district attorneys. But you've just got to understand whenever you enter the room, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in trouble. I always make sure that when I enter a meeting or I go to testify in court, I always have that mentality that I am not the smartest person in the room. But when I saw Nathan Wade testify, this brought back all my old detective um, memories, if you want to call it that, of doing interrogations. I literally believe 
every deceptive technique that I've ever seen in an interrogation, in an interview, on the stand of people just freaking lying through their teeth was used last Thursday by Nathan Wade and then even worse um, by Fannie Willis. Nathan Wade looked bad. I mean, it, it, to me, it just, it really looked, you know, he's sweating, he's drinking all this water, which are all telltale signs of deception. And, and this, is the, this is the one key that both of them did that, that I noticed right off the bat. I mean, I literally was laughing my ass off watching this thing going, you are so stupid and you're a district attorney. You are the district attorney for Atlanta, Georgia. And you look so bad. It is so embarrassing. You look so guilty as sin that anybody who watched that has any experience in law enforcement or in the judicial system just had to say, you're not fooling anybody. But one of the techniques that I love is when you're interviewing or interrogating someone and say, hey, at the party or or at, at any point, did you punch Johnny? And they'll turn around and say, I did not punch Johnny at the party. Didn't happen. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I asked. I asked you if you ever punched Johnny. I'm not the kind of person that goes around punching people. So I don't see me punching Johnny. But whoa, 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 you still didn't answer the question. And 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 I really want to go into to Fannie Willis. I don't give a crap about Nathan Wade. Dude, I know what motivates him. He's having sex with his boss and he's getting paid boatloads of money. Okay. It almost sounds like a few good men, you know, when they were talking about that one scene. It's like, dude, I get it. You know, he's profiting all kinds of money. He just needs to take her on a on a few um, vacations. So when she takes the stand, this is the parts that I recognized when I was watching this. First off, she walked into the courtroom at the right time on her own. That's not how it works. As a witness, you are outside in the hallway sequestered until they come and get you. How did she know the proper time to walk into the courtroom? Because she was watching it. She was listening to it. Or she had someone tell her what was going on. Completely inappropriate. She knew exactly what was going on in that courtroom. That's not how it's supposed to work. She walks in and she's like, you could just sense, I'm in charge. It's like to hell with you, judge. I'm in charge. Let me tell you one thing I have never done in my entire career. Even when they came out and got me in the hallway and say, Mr. Poff, we're ready for you to testify. I have never walked into a courtroom, walked up to the um, the witness box and said, I want this document, this document, and this document. I got nothing to say until we get that stuff. I'm more than happy to testify. I'm not a hostile witness because I want to testify. The judge would have found me in contempt because before you even walk up to the stand, you've got to raise your right hand. You have to approach either the judge or someone in, in the courtroom, depending on how each state does it. And then after they read you, you know, you swear that you're going to tell the truth. Then they say, have a seat. But she goes in there in complete bitch mode. Sorry to use that, but that's what I saw. And it was all about her. And I've seen this before. It's like, She's so narcissistic and so arrogant that she's just like, how dare you even question my integrity? I'm going to sit down here and I am going to set you straight and game on. 
but what she doesn't understand, and that's what most egotistical, arrogant people think that if you just put me on the stand, I will convince that jury or I will convince that judge that this is all BS and you can trust me. But she did it in such a way. I, I mean, one, it was just incredibly embarrassing for her. I mean, she looked terrible. But I have to tell you, watching the whole thing, it looked inc- completely deceptive, completely and and you can actually kind of go through the facts, but but I want to go through some of the um, deception techniques. Delay tactics is the number one thing. When you are telling the truth on the stand, you don't need to think about it. You know, what color is your car? Blue. You know, what kind of car do you drive? Suburban. Very quick. Were you living in the condo? Which, which condo? Which condo were we talking about? She knows which condo they're talking about. No, no, my house is in Fulton County. He's never even been to my house down at Fulton County. Never even seen the house. We're not talking about the house in Fulton or whatever in the South. We're talking about the condo. Which condo? The condo you rent. Well, it really wasn't a rent. It wasn't a lease. You know, so they want to question everything to dodge and they have to deflect it. I'm not sure. What did you ask? I don't understand the question. They even asked her at one point, at any place where you put your head down to sleep, was Mr. Wade there? And and that was a very direct question. And she turns to the judge and goes, I, I don't understand that question. You, you know, she needs time to come up with her BS story. So it's a delay tactic. You see the same thing in an interrogation where they're saying, what? What did you ask me? You know, I, I, I don't remember. You know, or they want to question every word, the very specific, you know, did you steal $1,000 from the bank? No, I did not steal $1,000 from the bank. Oh, it was $2,000. So, so that was the stuff that was going on. Changing the subject. You'll ask them to say, hey, um, what time frame did you live at the condo? I had to move out of my house because of my safety. And, oh, really? You moved out because you thought there were safety concerns, but you left your dad and your kids there. Let's be clear on that condo that condo was her sex palace that's all that was she met him there to have sex and if she wasn't at the condo having sex with this guy she was probably back at the house but she couldn't say that so there was a lot of issues around that so she was trying to stay away from certain things that she knew she couldn't say um she attempted to play the victim victim of what you're the victim of hiring your boyfriend sleeping with a subordinate, creating this little love shack condo where you guys could meet for your little rendezvous. What are you the victim of? You're not a victim of anything. Um, I get petrified when I'm testifying on the stand and the judge interrupts me and says, you know what? I'm going to have to explain, you know, you can't do that. You know, that's hearsay or whatever. You can't testify to that. You know, I'm just like, I shut down. When the judge talks, everybody's quiet. The judge is the king in the courtroom, period. When he talks, everybody shuts the hell up. She was constantly like having a conversation with the judge. Like, hey, I'm just as much in charge here as you are. I'm the county DA. That's not how it works. If, If she had been anybody else, That judge would have yanked her out of that seat, found her in contempt, and she would have spent the night in jail. There's no way you can treat the attorneys like that. 
You can't treat treat a judge like that. And, and she just did it like it was no big deal. And it looked so deceptive. I don't know about you guys, but with me, with my experience, I was just like, you are so lying, you know, and it's so obvious. Um, but she just kept on with her antics. And, and here's here's kind of the key point. Um, let's talk about cash. This is one of the interesting things that, of this whole thing was, oh, I paid him back in cash and I have no records. I don't have any ATM transactions. I have, I got nothing to prove that I paid him back. Just my honest testimony. Well, I got news for you. You got to, you got to get cash somehow. Cash, you, you don't go to the mint and pick up cash. It's, she, she has somewhere she has to establish cash. And it was pretty obvious from obvious from her testimony and from Mr. Wade's testimony. This is all BS. There was no cash exchange. She gave her boyfriend that she was having sex with. She gave him a job. Then she paid him. And then he kicked it back to her by taking her on vacations. There was no payback. There was no cash. She knows better. I was on a school board for 12 years. One of the things they kept telling me, you can't take gifts. You can't take gifts. If if anything happens, you got to register. You got to do this, blah, blah, blah. And we were always worried about these limits and gifts, even as a school board member. So I never let anybody buy me lunch. I never let anybody, you know, anything, because I didn't even want to go there. She says, well, the aggregate total, I mean, so it's it's 100 bucks over a year. And she said, well, he just bought me dinner a few times, but I, I sometimes I would pay and he would pay. So it all evened out. So I don't think there was any issues. What about sleeping with one of your employees? Well, he's not really an employee. He's a contract. It's very specific. He is considered an employee. She is having an affair or had an affair with a subordinate. I mean, there's just no way around this. And then obviously the other's you know, dimed her out as dude, she was in the condo with this guy, you know, back in 19 or I saw her making out with this guy back in 19. And and she, she wanted to make this big deal that she, the first time she met him was at this convention, but that's not when she slept with him. I questioned that because, you know, she kept saying, no, what kind of person do you think I am? That Dude, you're like every other human, man. You go to a convention or whatever, you drink a little too much and then you make a mistake. You make poor choices. But she couldn't make a mistake because she had to be perfect. So she went in there with this whole attitude that she was smarter than everybody in the room. She looked like the stupidest person in the room as far as I'm concerned. It's obvious to to everybody, I think, who watched it that she's been caught. I mean, she was nabbed. There was no cash payback. Nobody deals in cash like that anymore. So that's just the way that it goes. So I wanted to talk about that because I just found that so ironic. But let's talk about something a lot cooler than that. John St. Augustine's here. I kind of went over my part by a couple minutes. And, and John again, John and I, again, we were going to talk about, you can bring them in. We were going to talk about DNA, but there was something that um, kind of just came up last Friday. And we thought that this might be a little more interesting. So, John, if you can unmute. Are we there? Uh oh, John. It shows that you're muted. Is there some way we can just bring him up? Are we good? 
John? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, you may have to get out and get back in. Sometimes if it's not working for you, if you can hear me. Okay, he just dropped out. But I'll be interested to see. I think this judge is screwed. He's between a rock and a hard place. Um, I, I will see how things pan out for him. But he better make a good, honest decision, which obviously it is, is that this is has total appearance of um, misappropriations or whatever. All right. John's in. Bring him up. He's not muted. He appears to be good. Hey, Mark. Good afternoon. All right. So, hey, we we're um, I'd already kind of prepped a little bit. And if we have time, we might talk about the the whole DNA thing with that. Um, so let's talk about the Barry Morphew. I always can't say that right. But go through the whole background about the case and then what happened last Friday with our good friend. Well, I mean, you know, I think probably most of your uh, first thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I can't recall the date, Mark. It kind of caught me off guard there. But a few years back, um, a lady by the name of Suzanne Morphew went missing. Um, it was, uh, you know, eventually the... Uh, the Fremont County District Attorney Linda Stanley ends up arresting uh, Barry Morphew for the murder of his wife. Um, the body had not been discovered. And then more recently here in the last year, I think it was last September, her body was found in an area um, near Sawatch, Colorado, which was south of where uh, Barry and Suzanne lived. Um, you know, I don't know how much you know about the investigation, but Investigators had essentially dissected the entire um, whereabouts of Mr. Morphew from the moment that she was reported missing or last seen, um, that he had traveled north. I believe he was in the Denver metro area at some point. And basically, uh, where her body was found, law enforcement had never made any claims that he had, in fact, gone south, but that the body was, in fact, either in some place remote near where he lived, um, that, that apparently snow had, had prevented the body from being uh, found, or that the body was dumped somewhere between where he lived and the Denver metro area. Based on his cell phone records? Based on cell phone records, based on surveillance video of various places that um, you know could detect his car traveling north there. Um, and then what happens is in in you know last year I believe it was it might have been 2022 Barry Morphew the charges were dropped there were some concerns about discovery issues regarding uh, Linda Stanley staff providing you know discovery to opposing counsel right as we know right prosecutors have a duty under I believe it's called Rule Rule 16 that they have to provide all discovery, regardless of whether it's inculpatory or exculpatory, all that evidence has to be provided to the other side, as well as reports. Well, apparently there was, um, you know, alleged there was some violation. Uh, at the time, it was Judge Patrick Murphy who initially took the case, who found that there was sufficient evidence to hold Mr. Murphy over. Eventually, uh, Mr. Murphy is no longer the judge. Judge Murphy is no longer the judge. And they bring in a new judge um, named Judge Lama. 
And so Judge Lama becomes, um, you know, really active in this particular proceeding. And at some point he ends up dismissing the charges against Mr. Morphew. This was all before Suzanne Morphew's body was discovered this last fall. And so, um, you know, basically Mr. Morphew has been accused of his killing of killing his wife prior to her body being found. And what we know is that over the last five months since her body has been found, um, there has not been any subsequent arrest. There has been no real um, information provided regarding the cause or manner of her death or really anything um, since her body. You know, there has really been no update. Um, and then what happened last week, um, I believe there was a news station out of the Denver area, I think it was Nine News, had covered a story that the um, Colorado Attorney Regulation Council, which essentially is the overseer of, of attorneys in Colorado, that there has been a complaint filed against Mark Herbert, who was the prosecutor, the lead prosecutor in the um, Barry Morphew matter. And so, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty significant because in this matter, what is alleged, uh, Mark, which is something I have never heard of. Um, I mean, you know, we've been at this for the better part of probably two and a half, three decades. And I can tell you that I have never heard of a judge filing a complaint against a prosecutor. And so Judge Lama, who's no longer a judge, he's now off the bench, um, had filed a complaint to the Attorney Regulation Council, basically stating that, you know, uh, Mark Hurlbert, you know, I don't know the exact terminology, but it's a pretty lengthy, it's available online. I was just you know, going to try to review it um, before I got on with you. But it's a, you know, it's a pretty detailed complaint. Um, I can tell you exactly, you know, how many pages, but it, it's 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 from um, a guy by the name of Eric Kristofko, who is the senior assistant regulation counsel for the, you know, and then John Jonathan Blazewitz, who's the assistant regulation counsel for the attorney regulation council, which is an offset of the Colorado Supreme Court. They're the ones who really oversee, you know, any kind of complaints against attorneys. But I will tell you, um, this is the first time I've, I'm aware of, of a judge. And, and, the, and the troubling part of this, Mark, is, you know, it's something that you and I deal with on a regular basis. Apparently, there were text messages between um, Mark Robert, Linda Stanley, and another prosecutor who I believe's name is, uh, I'm trying to find his name for you. Um, let me see if I can find it. But, you know, Bob Weiner is the other prosecutor. And they're essentially, I mean, it, it's it's a layout of all these text messages where they're basically trying to go after the judge because they didn't appreciate the rulings that he had made in regards to the Morphew matter. They I weren't mean, favorable that, to him. Yeah, I mean, it's it, this is nuts. I yeah, mean, they're... nuts beyond nuts. I mean, <laughs> you know, here we are, right? We have judges that make rulings. And, and look, it's part of, it's part for the course. You're not always going to agree with what a judge rules, but what you do hope is that you know, as the as the as the the umpire, right, the referee of a of a proceeding, that they're using good sound legal judgment when they're doing, you know, when they're making their rulings. 
And, you know, the last thing you do, I've never heard of a defense attorney. Um, and, you know, I may be wrong, but I've never seen it where they complain and go to the attorney regulation council to say, you know, I'm not happy with what the judge is doing. And so, you know, that's what appellate issues are for, right? If you don't like the outcome of a proceeding, right? If your client was found guilty of something, you can appeal it. There's an appeal process. From a prosecution standpoint, I mean, this is just nuts. I mean, who does this, right? Who, who, so, you know, specific like, though. What's that? I want to be specific about exactly sure. what happened. So, sure. So what happened was the judge, for one thing, he dropped the charges. He, he did a motion to dismiss. Correct. And obviously Mark Hurlbert, who was the lead um, prosecutor on the case, and then Linda Stanley is his boss, who's mm-hmm. the actual DA of that, that county. So he didn't like the response. Some Somehow they found out through some guy on the internet that there was this unsubstantiated um, rumor that the that judge's first it. wife, right. that, that he did not treat her well. Right. So Mark Hurlbert, if I read it right, went to the county sheriff of that county to a commander for that sheriff's office and said, we want you to go investigate the judge for this domestic violence years ago with a previous um, wife or whatever. And the commander was like, are you crazy? No, we're not going to do this. So you see, that's how slimy people like that work. They never do the dirty work themselves. They get someone else to do it. This is the same guy who who went after Sheriff Terry Makita and lost and then got fired by Brockler because he couldn't get a conviction. But he he went after other people to do his dirty work and, and all this stuff blew up in his face. But then when this guy wouldn't do it, there's some text messages between him and Linda where he's saying, um, l- let's get an investigator. So I think they ultimately got a DA investigator. They did. Actually, and, and he went out and talked to his ex-wife. That's correct. His name was Investigator Corey. Um, is what the So Andrew Corey was a criminal investigator for the 11th Judicial District. And he went out on April 9th of 22 to speak with Iris Lama, who was the, um, he was, and he was, he even said here, I was asked to speak with Iris Lama by District Attorney Linda Stanley. Iris Lama is the ex-wife of District Judge Ramsey Lama. Um, District Attorney Stanley wanted me to speak with Iris to make sure Judge Lama had not spoken to Iris about anything that would make him impartial to the Barry Morphew case and if any domestic violence had occurred in the relationship. She completely denied both. But how crazy is it, Mark, that you now are using, you know, the resources of investigators, of your, of investigators right? Not, it, it'd be different, right, if like the ma- the wife, the ex-wife of the judge had made some allegations that she was involved in a domestic violence, right? Or somebody, you know, witnessed something like that. But for 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 Linda Stanley to abuse her authority as the district attorney of the 11th Judicial District, to abuse her authority, she's the elected official. She has no excuse. She knows better. She knows oh, yeah. she can't do this kind of stuff. Targeted for her to go out and do that, Mark, and for the for all of these prosecutors to get on a text on a texting application 
and verbalize that they want to go after the judge? I mean, how stupid can you be? I mean, literally, how stupid can you be? We deal with this stuff with criminals who do their texting and social media and all these things where they use a phone. And you've got three experienced prosecutors getting on their phones and texting to one another about how they want to go after a judge. Yep. That's just nuts. And, and I think it all boils down to arrogance. No one's going to question me because I'm a district attorney. Not only that, Mark, but this is why absolute immunity has to be done with. Revisited. You have, yeah, you cannot have prosecutors thinking that they're above everybody and they can do whatever, you know, to their hearts, whatever they want to do. Do it to whoever they want, including a judge, and, and not be held accountable gonna, in any way. going to happen. What's that? And, and really, and nothing's going to happen. Really, the best way is for the way they're doing it is to make a professional complaint and then go after their law license to get them out that way. Because if you did a federal um, lawsuit, judges are going to say they got absolute immunity. Yeah, he can go and not- investigate whoever he wants. Right. You know, but it's not ethical. And, and a lot of these judges, how do you think the Supreme Court judges are going to feel about a rogue DA going after judges? But here's but here's the worst part of it, Mark. I can bet you my my very limited paycheck that this is not the first time that they've done this. You know, to think about the, like you said, the arrogance of putting this out on a text app, texting application. Do you think this is their first rodeo? I mean, do you think this is the very first time that they would have communicated about wanting to go after somebody? It may not have been, this might've been the first judge, but I can assure you, they have gone after people you know, because they didn't like the outcome of what the, the potential outcome of what was there. And you know, what? that's where they've missed the boat on what their role is. Their role as prosecutors is to seek justice. It's not to gain wins and losses. It's to right. seek justice. And they're not seeking justice when they have discovery violations, when they're not disclosing all their cards, when they're required to do so. And, 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 you know, it's a travesty. And, and, you know, right now, I don't know how much of Colorado really knows about this. My guess is this is going to be one of those situations where it's going to be swept under the rug. Nobody's going to report on it. Right. And then, you know, everybody's left to wonder, like, you know, poor Mark Hurlburt, poor, poor Linda Stanley. They were just doing their their good service of trying to put bad people away. Well, you can put bad people away by doing your job. Not by having to go out and abuse your power to maliciously, you know, go after somebody that you know darn well. The only reason why you're doing it is because you didn't like the ruling. It wasn't right. because you got a report of domestic violence. It wasn't because you got a report of some. And don't get me wrong. If there's a judge that commits a crime, they need to be held accountable like right. no one else, like or like everybody else. Right. That's not the situation that transpired here. There wasn't somebody who came forward and said, hey, my my husband beats me or hey. My neighbor, I saw my the, the the husband beating on his wife, and I wanted to report this this abuse. That's right. not what happened here. This is a process on a fishing expedition. Yes. Trying to find whatever he could to get that judge off the case. And he actually says that, I think, in the text or something where he makes reference, you know, we got to get him out of the picture, or you know, some some reference to you know, they, they didn't like his rulings and so they want could you could, could you imagine if a defense attorney were to do this targeted a judge targeted a judge can you imagine that that would make you national jail. 
That would not only would they probably be in jail, it would make national news. But here we are, we have three prosecutors, an elected DA, who are all in cahoots doing this same damn thing. And nobody, you know, nobody, it, it should be the front page news of every organization saying, how does, how do prosecutors get away with this? How do these prosecutors um, get away with this? How, how are they being held accountable? Let's review real quick, just so people under, I mean, sure. some people probably do, but so as law enforcement officers in the state of Colorado, you have limited, what's the actual term? Is it, um, you have limited immunity? No, as prosecutors, absolutely. Yes. It's qualified immunity. That's correct. Except for, they change it a little bit for um, racially motivated crimes or civil rights violations. But, but basically, you know, even though that immunity has been really questioned, I remember back when, when I worked the street and I was a detective, I, I remember um, shootings that it was just like, oh man, this one's not going to fly. And all of a sudden the DS, yeah, that's a good shooting. No problem. That's a good shooting. No, no big deal. Nothing here to see. I'm like, wow, geez, you know, that just seems like it really kind of stretched it and people and, and cops violating some people's rights and stuff. But it was always like, Hey, you know, they've got qualified immunity, but then you have district attorneys and judges who have absolute immunity. And I've said this from the beginning, there's only one person who has absolute immunity and that's God. That's there, right. There's nobody else that should have absolute immunity. If you know, like, especially in the case of Mark Hurlburt, there is factual evidence, I think, coming from his own mouth in a deposition where he admits that, yeah, you know, I was targeting people because I wanted to pressure them into turning against this person. And he's like, but you can't touch me. So I'm not going to lie in a deposition, but I know you can't touch me. If you can show that a district attorney knowingly is doing a malicious prosecution for whatever reason, they should be held accountable. In law enforcement, there's a thing called the Brady List. Brady List is a lot worse than it used to be. Back when I when I was a cop, the Brady List was, eh, you really don't want to get on this list, but it just means that you you were found to be departing from the truth, but you know, you could still keep your job if it wasn't too bad. But now the state law is such that if you're put on the Brady list, you're pretty much gone from law enforcement in Colorado. So mm -hmm. there's repercussions if you lie, if you, if you find, you know, that you departed from the truth. A DA can go into a grand jury and lie to them to get an indictment against someone that they want to target and there is nothing you can do. There is no Brady list for attorneys. If someone knowingly, and you can prove that they knowingly departed from the truth and they're working for the prosecution, they are a district attorney, that should be the end of their career. How come DAs are not held to the same standard that you do cops? These are individuals that can lie, not give all the discovery, you know, um, exculpatory discovery and send people to prison for many years, but there's no repercussions if they lie. If they lie, right. that's just not acceptable. And you know the way the way I look at it, Mark, is if they were to be held accountable, where you got, you got rid of absolute immunity, I think prosecutors would be more 
um, they they would they would be fair. More, not not yeah, fair, but they would be more cautious. I guess is the word I'm looking for. They would be more cautious before they actually file charges against a certain individual, right? Like they would make sure that those ducks were in a row. But when you know you have this whole thing where just do what you want to do. And then we'll kind of sort it out kind of later type of thing, because, you know, the, the general public maybe wants to hear what's going on and wants some immediate results. Right. Because if you if you look at the narrative on Barry Morphew, what was the narrative? The narrative from the very beginning was that Barry had something to do with the death of his wife. Right. What, no they, completely, what they completely left out, Mark, was the fact that there was DNA found in the victim's Range Rover that was linked to another individual. Right. So how do you take that type of exculpatory evidence and just ignore it? How do you not present that and say, wait a second, quite possibly somebody else could have been involved in the murder of this of this lady. But instead, found other bodies. That's right. And then here we you know, here we have the situation going on. Right. And not a lot of people are not talking about this. But if you look at what's gone on down in Sawatch County, not only was Suzanne's body found down there, but there has been at least two or three other bodies where at least two of those victims, there's some questions about whether or not there was foul play involved. So do you have a dumping ground of, of where victims are? Going? Yeah, who knows, right? But you're never going to know if you don't do a proper investigation and you just simply are, are, are honed in on what makes the most sense is that it had to be Barry because Barry was the one who was living with her and Barry was, you know, allegedly the last one to see her and Barry, you know, Barry, Barry, Barry. Well, guess what? You better have more than just that. Right. And and one of the things that it also kind of is my pet peeve is a district attorney can ruin people's lives by charging them, you know, and they know it's bogus, but they charge them anyway, knowing that, you know what, I know this isn't going to fly, probably won't get a conviction, but it's going to cost them boatloads of money to defend themselves. I think whenever the DA does a motion to dismiss on a case, that that individual's um, legal fees should oh, yeah. be paid for by the district attorney's office. That's right. You want to find a way to get them to be straight and narrow just find five or six good cases that they have to do a motion to dismiss and they have to pay out a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. Here's the deal. You're taking an individual. Most people might even have a good savings account. Let's say that they're a good um, saver or whatever you want yeah, to call it. Sure. And they put away a hundred thousand dollars in their account. And, and God forbid this is towards the end of, you know, like maybe in their forties or fifties and they stockpiled better have more than a hundred K but they stockpiled this money. And then all of a sudden, the DA on these false allocation yanks that money away. And who do you have to give it to? Lawyers. I mean, yeah. that just drives me crazy. They make boatloads of money. And then the DA at the end is like, you know what, judge? Ah, we're done here. Let's do a motion to dismiss. Everybody goes home. Well, if the judge was to turn around and say, you know what? Why don't you just hand him the bill for all of your attorney fees and we'll have the DA's office pay for that because that was a malicious prosecution. We don't even need for you to sue. If the DA drops the charges on a case and they don't have a good reason, so let the judge decide, I really don't care, and just say, you know what? Yeah, you can drop the charges, but you're going to have to pay for that. That would be entertaining. Yeah, I mean... Think of, you know, we just talked about this case a few weeks back. 
But, you know, Lisa Chase was arrested four yep. times. And come to find out, she didn't do anything wrong. She incurs, she incurs roughly $60,000 in legal fees. And she's, you know, she's a hairdresser. Where, where's a, how's a hairdresser going to be able to save another 60K, you know, and she's in her 40s. And that poor lady, you know, no, there's no accountability anywhere. She didn't even get an apology. Didn't even less. say a, a written letter, even even a, we're sorry that this happened. They don't Something. give a crap. They Something. don't care about people. They don't. And, and they say they're all about just, justice and victims' rights and all this. They don't care. Because yeah. guess what? Lisa Chase, who was maliciously prosecuted because of a completely crappy investigation. I don't even know you can call it a crappy investigation when there really wasn't one to be crappy. They didn't right. do a proper investigation. Right. They cost her $60,000 in, in legal fees. And then, bye-bye, bye-bye. We yeah. don't even care. Right. So that's, that is inconceivable. They need to give, they need to pay for her legal fees because of their incompetence. Yeah. And you can't sue them. Absolute immunity. Right. And, and well, they ruin their life. You're, you're right, Mark. I mean, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. And, you know, you and I have had discussions about this. You don't want to paint the broad brush that every prosecutor is like this. And I'm not saying that. But the problem is, is that when you have leadership like a Mark Hurlburt, who was the DA during the Kobe Bryant prosecution, when you have people like Linda Stanley, who's the elected DA, right? you have these seasoned veteran prosecutors that are doing these types of things. That's not okay, right? You can you can chalk up a young prosecutor just coming fresh out of law school, maybe from a lack of training and just, you know, they made a mistake and it was an error of the heart, not an error of the mind. What these guys are doing is they consciously know what they are doing and they are doing it. They're doing it and they're abusing their power to get the results that they want. And, you know, somebody finally called them out. But, I, you know, there's a lot of people that are hesitant to call out the Linda Stanleys of the world because they don't want any fallout from it. They don't want to be, you know, right. somebody going in and looking into their life and what they may be doing wrong, you know, that, you know, or something that, you know, oh yeah, I heard of it. Okay, well, get, let me get an investigator to go look into this. So now if you're divorced or now if you've parted ways with your kids or whatever, now it's a green light for prosecutors to go and talk to them to see if, hey, did he ever talk to you about a case? What? Right. The reality is, how about you all look in the mirror and talk about how you talk about these cases, right? That you're never going to be held accountable for because you've leaked this information to, to numerous people. And it's all this, just keep it quiet. Okay, just keep it quiet. But there's no ramifications if it gets out in public. You know, there's none. And, and it's it's sad. I mean, it's just and, you know, we both sent, seen district attorneys that should never question. I mean, but I find it so interesting. You and I both worked for the El Paso County Sheriff's Office for, for many years. We've been qualified as experts for the local district attorney's office back when we worked for the um, sheriff's office. And now they want to question our credentials. Yeah. Now, now they want to say, well, I'm not so sure you're such an expert anymore. It's like, what? Am I Joe Biden? Can I not remember what I did 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. I can remember completely all these cases that I worked on. So why are you questioning me now? Well, because you're working for the dark side. That's exactly what it is. It's you not must. a matter. Right. It's not a matter of whether or not your testimony is truthful. Right. It's a matter right. of who, what side you represent. And if you're not representing the side of the government, you you must not be credible. And so. Right. 
yeah, you might've been credible when you were a cop, but now you're not credible. It's like, wait, what? How does that make any yeah, sense? How does that work? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's been so interesting in the last nine years that we've been doing this stuff that our old buddies, the prosecutors, are now coming after us with a vengeance. And, and, and I have to tell you, when I'm on the stand, bring it on. Because like I always said just earlier about Fannie Willis, when you're speaking the truth on the stand, you don't need to think about it. The, the truth flows. Lies take time. And you got to, you know you know, think about it. And, and Willis, well, I know you didn't watch this. um, Wade, the one guy kept looking up, what is it up and to the left or up and to the right or wherever you're, you know, you look when you're lying and you're coming up with a story, but you know, they feel like they work for God, that they can't be challenged. And, And I told you a few months ago, I actually had a DA while I was on the stand. I wish I'd have been ready for this said, look, if you came up with all this exculpatory information about this client, why didn't you just come to me and tell me? I have the ability to drop the charges. Right. I felt like saying to myself, do I look that stupid that I'm going to tell you how your case sucks so you can fix it? You, right. you know, I'm not here to help you with your incompetence. If you want me to help you with your incompetence, then hire me. I will come work for you and I will tell you how to fix your cases. Right. But God forbid somebody who doesn't have a badge and a gun tell them how they screwed up. Because right. you, you want to see someone go into defensive mode, they will go into defensive mode extremely quick, and, and they, they won't come after the truth. They won't say, hey, we need to fix this up. We need to fix this case. No. Hey, what can we do to discredit? Right. How do we attack? Mode? How do we attach He's a messenger? Challenging us. For yep, God I, forbid, he challenges us. That's right. How do you we know? attack the messenger? Whether right. it's and, you and, or me, because you know now we're we're not working for the government. We're working for the other side, holding, you know, Holding people, holding them accountable. That's right. That's all. That's all I care about is look. Yeah, if the client fair. did it and the evidence supports that they did it, I can't help me lie and say they didn't do it. You know, it's, it's going to be. Yeah, that's not going to happen. It's bad. That's bad evidence. Bad facts. And your client probably should take a plea. But you're never going to hear. You know, you or I lying under oath because number one, that's not that's not what you know. That's not what we're going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, wasn't like our last day on the stand because if we were ever found out, yeah, no hire us, hire us again. We never, we'd never work again once we found yeah. it. You know, one of the very first questions you know most attorneys will ask me is, you know, you've testified how many times, and then they go, "Have you ever been found, you know, um, not not have you ever been not, not found credible. credible, right?" And the answer to that has always been no. No, I don't. I definitely am not in the business of starting out and finding out how I can have that first case of where I'm found to be not credible. That's never going to happen. Even if it hurts, even if I know that the facts are bad. And and even if, you know, I say I've done a poor job, I'm going to say I've done a poor job. I could, I've done better. Right. Of what's being presented. Sure. You know, but I'm not going to lie and say, you know, that didn't happen if it happened. All right. So we got to wrap, wrap this up. Sure. So I want everyone to watch John on worldwide TV <laughs> because he is on 60 minutes Australia. So I want everybody to go out there, go find it on the internet. I found it today. I know it's there. I just didn't have time to watch it. Go watch the story on John Benet Ramsey. And then maybe next time now, did they say there's new evidence that could break the case? You know, they really are focusing Mark on the, on the stun gun marks. Cause they have Dr. Yeah. Davidson who did the very first study in the country, probably the world. Um, where they used um, they they did test about stun gun injuries, and he's he's adamant that the injuries to John Bonnie Ramsey on her face and on her back are from a stun gun. 
right? Yeah. So, and, and there's really no reason why the family would stun their kid. It That's makes correct. sense. It makes no so sense. We'll talk about John Bonet again. We'll talk about CBI and how one of their agents called me up and tried to um, intimidate. <laughs> or no, intimidate. Intimidate me. Yes. And I just started laughing at him and say, it's, it's not going to work. Click. See right. you later, man. But right. that's that's the way it kind of works. Um, hopefully, everybody had a good change of pace from the normal Chuck and Julie show. I'm sure on Wednesday they will get back to talking about the whole mess. But I have to tell you, I am so interested in this Fannie Willis case. It's it's reeled me in, and I don't watch cop shows because they're stupid. But that was just so hilarious watching her testifying, looking like a fool. So, John, thanks for coming out again. Next time we get. We'll have fun. We'll do it all again. So everybody have a great week. Tell hi to Chuck and Julie. I'll be uh, in Arizona for the next few days. And um, we'll see you next time. See you.